Good morning, Hayden Bible Church. What a wonderful day to praise the Lord. Let's continue with prayer. Father, we are so grateful to be here. Lord, you've brought us together by the blood of Christ. You orient us together, focused on him. Today, Lord, we pray that you would be pleased as we exalt his great name. We pray that you would grow us up into him, Lord, our head. Lord, we bow to him today. We uh, acknowledge him as king of glory. And today, Lord, we pray that you would further equip us to proclaim his great name to this earth. Lord, so that you can have the fullness of your inheritance among the nations. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You know, this past Thursday, my wife Carlina and I attended a, uh, we attended a memorial service of a, a dear sister who had recently gone home to be with the Lord. She was a precious woman. A lot of ladies testified uh, during her memorial that of her helping them grow spiritually. She was a genuine one-on-one discipler of women. As we were coming in, they handed us one of uh, the bookmarks that they were handing out to people, uh, and it had a picture of her, and it also had a verse on it. And then they explained later that it was one of her favorite verses, if not her life verse. It was Isaiah 26.3. Isaiah writes, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. I believe she ministered this verse to women as she mentored them, and they talked together with their Bibles opened. And her, in fact, her son-in-law, who was a pastor, uh, shared that in the earlier years of his getting to know the family, as they, as they started to come together, they would actually pay, play the Bible trivia game. And she said, and he, he said, she was unbeatable. He thought he knew the word well. He had just come from seminary, because he'd, and so he had gone to Bible school, but she truly knew the full counsel of God's word. It turns out that her lifetime of pursuing the holy God in his word gave her a knowledge and understanding of him that was able to answer every trivia question. But better yet, better than merely knowing trivia, Each of the people testifying of this saint of God and her ministry to them testified of her knowledge of God and that it helped them grow to be like Jesus. It helped them grow to be like Jesus. And, And it was expressed toward them in love. She was mature. They said she loved like Jesus. Multiple quality Christian women said this. Her life demonstrated a knowledge of the Son of God. Her mind was able to be stayed on or, or steadfastly focused on Him. And the greater her growth of the, in the knowledge of the truth of who He is, the more she trusted Him. And the more perfect her peace. And it was tangible peace the more she loved like him, and the more fruitful she became as she served him. Doesn't that sound attractive? Attractive both in the sense that I want to be like that, and also attractive in the sense that I want to be discipled by someone like that. Someone whose mind is engaged with the living word of God. Someone who has a genuine, real knowledge 
of him, based on his word. Someone at peace because they know him so well and they trust him. Someone stable and not tossed around in turmoil whenever a new crisis is reported on the news. Someone able to love for real because their mind is stayed on the one who is love and someone who serves in the power of their great God with his strength. This was a woman like so many of the saints here, equipped by the Lord to equip others, building others up in the knowledge of the Son of God. Her mind was stayed on him because her life was centered on his word. Her Bible, it turns out, was her most prized, precious possession. And her ever-growing knowledge of God, based on the words in her Bible, was the anchor for her soul. And she served as a stabilizing influence on many other souls as she brought them to a greater understanding of the knowledge of God. She wasn't one to fall prey to distractions. Her heart was captured by the Lord. And she knew his spirit-enlivened word was the pathway to becoming like him. She was diligent in the word. This week, as we continue our study on God's church, we're focused this morning on the purposeful and fruitful ministry of the word of God in his church. Because in the city of God, this heavenly city, there, where a temple is being built, one living stone upon another, all aligned to the head, Jesus Christ, we need a primer for our alignment. We need nutrition toward our good health. We need, as the Apostle Peter teaches in 1 Peter 2, like newborn babies, we need the pure milk of the word so that we may grow in respect to our salvation. Do you want real Christianity? Do you, you need the knowledge of the Son of God. You need the rightly taught and understood word of God in your life. In season and out of season, you need the ministry of the word. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, God's word must flood your soul for you to be healthy so that it flows like a river out of your heart, so that the glory of the Lord floods the entire planet as the waters cover the sea. Please be convinced this morning, if there's anything that you take away from this entire series on the church of God, if there's anything that you remember a year from now, please remember this. God's church matures by growing in the knowledge of Christ. That's how we mature. Your Bible is the most important possession that you have on this planet. Our diligence in subjecting ourselves to the ministry of the word in our church life is the single most vital activity that we can be engaged in. But this morning we need to take warning of danger. A danger lurking in the shadowy places of church, church life. There's a counterfeit that wants to capture your heart. And draw you away from the real truth of real Christianity. It's almost a pleasure that creeps in and displaces the pursuit of mind-involved knowledge of the Son of God, the Holy One. It creeps in and replaces that pursuit, even in terms of fellowship and church life, with something fake. 
The common counterfeit is an inordinate focus on emotional experiences that actually pull us away from actually really maturing in Jesus Christ. Sensational and emotional, experienced-focused church life will not lead us to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Jesus Christ. It won't happen. And it certainly won't keep us in perfect peace because it keeps our mind stayed on us and not Him. We need to be warned. We all know of all the forms of media out there that we subject ourselves to on a daily basis that, that emotion manipulation runs rampant, not only in the advertising business, but in all forms of media in our culture. And so we're used to having our emotions manipulated. And so we think that that's normal as we approach the throne of grace. But that's not the truth. Imagine every Sunday, instead of endeavoring to rightly teach the Word of God, to grow in the knowledge of the Son of God, what if instead we passionately preached about Republicans and Democrats from the pulpit, and our emotions were inflamed, and we ran out of here all fired up and ready to take on the world for their cause? Or what if we spent all our time trying to convince you what this week's mark of the beast is? Or what if we tried to wrap you around your axle every Sunday with who the Antichrist is this month? We played off each other's emotions in that sense, and we all got up in arms about these things, about vaccines and pandemics and dark conspiracies, and our emotions are fully engaged, and we think we're growing because our emotions are fully engaged. But eventually you start getting sick because the only food on, your, on our shelves is Doritos, and it tastes so good. But the truth is we're starving ourselves to death. We need some nutrition. The truth is, instead of fake food, we need organically grown quality food. Food that builds up and grows and matures and unifies and transforms and stabilizes. Food that's based on the true knowledge of the true and living God. Food that restores the image of God in us, transforming us into the image of Christ. Food that grows us up as ambassadors of the living God. Not who we sometimes tend to go out into the community as ambassadors of. Each of us born of the Spirit of God this morning needs to decide today. Do I want the real intended design of God for my spiritual growth and for the growth of my church and for the benefit of his kingdom? Or will I choose the emaciating life of Doritos and political group hugs and mystical kumbaya songs with smoke machines and mood lighting that manipulate my senses? Is that what I want? We don't want that. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Thank you. Are you eating the junk food of emotionalism? Or do you want to grow? Maybe the word of God will convince you this morning. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. 
Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul to born-again believers who needed the deep nutrition of the knowledge of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The theme of the epistle of the Ephesians is the grace of God in Christ, our blessings in Christ, our position in Christ, our everyday walk in Christ, and certainly our waging war in his kingdom in Christ with the appropriate weapons of that warfare provided in Christ. We've already noted in our series that the king, Christ, having overcome death via his cross and through his powerful resurrection from the dead is the supreme conquering victor over all. He conquered sin and death and he's now seated on his throne while he makes his enemies a footstool for his feet. Paul teaches us in Ephesians that upon Christ's victorious ascent into heaven, and in Ephesians 4, 8, it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. The conquering king who overcame his enemies, namely Satan and death, he himself led captive a host of captives now belonging to him. All of us who were once sinners in prisoners' chains and made us, and he made us slaves of righteousness now in his kingdom. We're the spoils of his victory. And he divides the spoils of his victory throughout his kingdom as he equips us with spiritual gifting for the building up of his church through the ever-expanding knowledge of the Son of God. That can only be based on the word of God. Listen to his intentions for the spoil, starting in verse 11. Paul writes, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. God's church matures by growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the word of God leading to the knowledge of God, leading to the overcoming of his enemies, producing the expansion of his kingdom, leading to his building of his church, leading to the maturity of God's people, leading to the stability and godly wisdom and discernment of the church. The living word grows us up into all aspects into him. So his image is spread across the planet as his glory covers the earth. We need to be very careful this morning regarding our focus in church. God has a design for building up the body into a mature man. And each of us needs to guard our hearts 
to be gathering together for the right reasons. Did you come to church today merely because there's other people who are like-minded with you politically? Is that the basis of your fellowship? Because that's your emotional passion? Or are you here to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head? God's church matures by growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that growth happens through the right ministry of his word to the saints. Look back to verses 11 and 12. Paul writes and says, Christ gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Notice, first of all, this morning that God is preparing a host of holy ones for service in his kingdom. A host of holy ones led by our captain who is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the host of holy ones, those of us clothed with fine linen, white and clean with the imputed righteousness of our conquering victor, we follow him out to battle as he strikes down his enemies by the word of his power. He's the king of kings and lord of lords today. And he will have his full inheritance from among the nations. He gave men and he gave gifts to men for the equipping of his holy ones. His saints, those of us washed in his blood for the work of service in his kingdom. God is preparing a host of us. I'll tell you what, you can see that vividly here at Hayden Bible Church. I can't think of many better examples of this happening in our body than our women's ministry team through the women's equip classes. God has given gifted women into his, this ministry in an effort to equip his holy ones for the work of service, to build up the body of Christ for the nurturing and development of the women in our church for a purpose. What purpose? So that our women can have some sort of an emotional rush or a mystical spiritual experience that lasts 15 minutes and then flitters away? No. Here's the real purpose. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The ministry of equip and every other ministry at Hayden Bible Church is so that we become like Jesus Christ, unified together in our faith, instead of ripping each other apart with weapons handed to us by our mutual enemy dividing us. Instead, that we're, instead of that, our purpose is to be unified in faith. We're equipped by the Spirit of God for the work of that service. And that building up happens until we all attain to the unity of the faith. What faith are we talking about in this verse? The, the emotional, sense-based zeal we can get at a political rally? That kind of faith? No. Is that what God's doing from his mighty throne? Is that type of thing his purpose? What he's actually doing is he's preparing us by building us up in the knowledge of the Son of God. In the orthodox biblical, historical, Christian faith handed down from ages past that has now landed in our laps. And we're the stewards of this precious gift now. 
In fact, in the book of Jude, verse 3, the Lord calls the saints to contend for that faith. Jude writes and says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt it necessary, or felt the necessity, to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Once for all handed down. It's the faith of the Holy Bible. It all pointing to Jesus Christ. It's the faith of the complete and sufficient word of God. God's church matures by growing in the knowledge of Christ. As the church, we've been gifted to equip ourselves until we all attain to the unity of that faith, to the fullness of the stature that belongs to Christ. Over the years, to be stable stewards of the faith, continuously pointing to the saints in the correct biblical direction without wandering off and getting ran over by weird doctrines, the church has developed tools to keep us all in the same line. In modern days, these tools kind of have seemed to lost their prominence. But I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but historically, over the centuries, the church developed creeds and confessions of the faith so that everybody is kind of saying the same things. Everybody is reciting and reminding ourselves of the same faith, the faith derived from Holy Scripture. Week after week, the creeds and confessions, the summary statements of the Christian faith, so to speak, have historically been used to serve the purpose of coming to a unity of faith and maintaining that unity. You may have heard of the Apostles' Creed, for instance, written roughly back around the 4th century. The Apostles' Creed was meant to be basic training for the Christian church. It was meant to unify us in our faith to serve the purpose that Paul is describing here in Ephesians 4. The Apostles' Creed is called that, by the way, not because it was written by the Apostles, but it was written as a kind of brief summary of the faith they handed down in Scripture to us. Listen to the words of this creed. It's organized by order of the Trinity. It says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, who descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. (laughs) The, The creeds were developed as unifying biblical writings to protect the church from apostasy and doctrine. And we'll come back to that later. So the church could be effective in the ways that God intends. And, and by the way, don't be scandalized by the term holy Catholic. It's just a way of referring to the universal church, the true Christian church from all times and all places, and it's not referring to a specific organization. So here in verse 13 of chapter 4, in attaining to the unity of faith, God is orienting his holy ones in the same direction. 
all of us in the same direction. His purposes aren't splintering purposes. His purposes are unifying purposes. What about your purposes today? Are they splintering purposes? Or unifying among your church family? Like we've seen already, God has given the church effective teachers who will stand up and look for ways of benefiting God's church through the ministry of the word until we all come to the unity of the faith, the faith. Of course, discussing unity brings up an elephant sitting in the back of the room. If God is orienting his holy ones all in the same direction, why are there there hundreds of denominations out there? And why is the church so splintered if his purpose is our unity of faith? The reason is because sound biblical teaching of the essentials of the faith leading to sound doctrine haven't always been the foundation of God's church in practice. That's why Jude asks us to contend earnestly for the faith, the specific faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. The winds of various doctrines and political causes have blown back and forth over the centuries, splintering the earthly expression of God's church over the centuries. He matures us by growing us in the knowledge of Christ, and it's our purpose our purpose to orient ourselves through the teaching of the word, all in the same direction, all to his glory. Let's look back at our passage and see which direction we're heading. Again from verse 13, Paul writes, he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Notice here this morning that God isn't only orienting us in the same direction, but actually God is aligning us to Jesus Christ himself. By knowing him personally through the gospel and understanding his word, gaining knowledge of him in our minds as we teach each other the word, we're being matured. We're growing up as a church into the stature of the fullness of Christ. There is a growing process, a maturing process that God has ordained in his church. And, and, and just like a son who, who wants to grow up in the stature of his dad, and, and as he follows along, hopping from one footprint to the next, eventually being able to walk comfortably in each step, Christians are also growing up in the stature of Christ. And the more we see him, the more we understand him. And the more we become like him, and the more we love like him, and the more his glory spreads across the earth. We have to be aligned to him, our head. And it's only by the word of God that we can maintain this orientation. Paul continues and says in verse 14, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Does doctrine matter just so long as I love Jesus? Or should I ignore it? Shouldn't we steer away from discussing doctrine in church because it's so divisive? 
Here's the real question we should be asking ourselves. Is it doctrine that divides or is it people? Verse 14 begins by saying, as a result, as a result of being unified in faith, oriented to Jesus Christ, maturing into the fullness of his stature, as a result of that, we are no longer to be children. Children who are easily duped into running after decoys. Children who still need their parents to train them to avoid danger. It's only by the ministry of the word of God that children become mature adults. The ESV study Bible notes really characterize this well. They write, immaturity in the truths of Christian doctrine makes the church like gullible children tossed helplessly by the waves and wind of cunning and deceitful schemes of false teachers. Immaturity, by the way, opens the door to such things as sense and emotions-focused assemblies of Christians. Immaturity opens the door to junk food assemblies instead of purposeful, constructive, and foundational basics that God has ordained as we come together. The truth we can see here from God's word is that God uses right doctrine to stabilize his church. Gullible children aren't wise to the deceptive decoys of the world, let alone the deceptive lies of false teachers from within the church, so we need to be diligent in teaching doctrine rightly. And so we need to be open as well to learning right doctrine instead of running whenever someone mentions it. We all know the proverbial counterfeit money example, don't we? It's the idea that the more you look at the real thing, the real dollar bill, you hold it up to the light or you look at it, you, you look at the back of it, the more easily that you can sniff out the counterfeit, Right? You don't study all the counterfeits. You study the real things so the, the difference is vivid when the counterfeit comes along. The more you study the truth, the more you grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Son of God, the easier it is to sniff out counterfeit teachings or doctrines about Him. We have to be attentive to the right teaching of doctrine. In our passage, Paul is teaching the church in Ephesus how to avoid the damage of destruction of the destabilizing sort of trickery and craftiness and deceitful scheming that will attempt to throw the church off course. Satan uses a lot of lost people to carry out his will. From Acts 20, remember from him warning, uh, Paul warning the elders of the church when he says, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Maybe you're someone this morning kind of kicking the tires of different churches. You're trying to find a good church home. As you're visiting these places, ask yourself, what are they preaching there? What are they singing there? What is it that they're teaching there? Savage wolves will attempt to manipulate your emotions to draw your heart away after them. 
They want to draw as many people as possible to be focused on them. And to achieve this, they create an experience for you in their church service. Whether it's a mystical or even what's popular today, a political type of emotional experience that you get wrapped up into. Savage wolves couldn't care less about your maturing into the fullness of the stature of Christ because they want numbers, Christian or not. So let's stop, stop even talking about antiquated terms like sin and judgment and righteousness and obedience and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's start calling sin junk now. Or disobedience brokenness. In his book called The Church, Jeffrey Johnson writes, if churches can keep the focus of the emotions on the worshiper then unbelieving worshipers can worship without believing. If church is all about my mystical and and emotional experiences, I don't even need to read my Bible, let alone be taught from it, let alone understand its doctrines. In fact, I don't even need to be a believer. I don't even care about maturing into the knowledge of the Son of God. And if that's the case, a whole bunch more people will come to church. Even as a Christian, if my mystical or emotional church experience is my purpose on each Sunday, then sanctification through beholding our holy God and through the ministry of the word won't even be on my radar. Is doctrinal teaching a wet blanket on your church experience? Or do you want Christ? Look back at verse 15. Paul writes and says, But but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. God uses right hearts to effectively build up his church, speaking the truth. Many of us, even before we came to Christ, were at times hurt by unlovely Christians. And maybe, in actuality, people who thought they were Christians. They seemed to have a lot of knowledge about Bible things. Maybe they knew about the Reformed doctrines of grace, but they didn't have any grace. Maybe, like me, you've been that person who was unlovely. Without a right heart, as you beat people with your intellectual Christianity. And it should be intellectual. I know even by experience, God uses right hearts to effectively build his church. Every time I think about this, I'm reminded of one of my heroes of the faith, George Whitfield. By the way, please read his biography by Arnold Dallimore. Um, in fact, flood Amazon today with that purchase. It's worth every page. Along with John and Charles Wesley, he was the founder of real Methodism, and he was the preacher of the great awakening revival of the 18th century. Whitfield understood well the doctrines of grace and election and predestination and and had the glorious knowledge of the Son of God, and he loved people with passion. He preached the gospel to save people. And God used him mightily. He didn't merely bring 30,000 people together at a time without a PA system to have some sort of emotional experience. He preached to save them from going to hell. 
He preached so that Jesus Christ would have his full reward from among every nation. He crossed the Atlantic Ocean from Britain to here 13 times in his life with ships that had sails to reach this nation. And he, he preached the truth of the gospel in love even to Benjamin Franklin who prided himself for resisting Whitfield's plea for his repentance and faith. Many times in his biography, Delamore recounts Whitfield with his heart warmed. Whitfield had his heart tuned to Jesus, forgetful of everything around him, seemingly kneeling at the very throne of Jehovah. Delamore says, beseeching in agony for the salvation of his fellow beings. As I read his biography, I see a man God can use, a man who will speak the truth in love, pleading in love because he does love, because his heart understands the grace of God in Jesus Christ. He pleaded to grow up the church in all aspects, even into Christ. Do you love people this way? I want to grow in this way. I want to be like George Whitfield, like Jesus. John the Apostle, whom Jesus loved, said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. God is love. Here in Ephesians 4, we are to speak the truth of God's word to each other in love. Sometimes we mistakenly separate those things, but today let's be focused that we're speaking the truth in love. Loving the ones we're building up. We're ministering the word to their benefit because God's church matures by growing in the knowledge of Christ and and God most effectively uses right hearts for this type of ministry. Hearts pierced by the love of God in Christ Jesus. I don't know how many times I've endeavored to share the gospel with somebody and I've asked myself, I wonder if I loved this person more if my gospel ministry would be more fruitful. Verse 16, Paul continues and says, From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. There is a place for passion. There's a place for emotion in God's church. Some of us cry when we sing God's words back to him through our worships and praise songs. Some of us weep when we read certain passages of Scripture. Some of us cry over loved ones that, because we want so desperately to have them come to Christ. There is a genuine and valid emotional response to the grace of our great God. There is that. God created us as emotional beings. Please see today that there can be a danger. A danger of manipulated emotional experiences that can draw us away from the real and genuine purpose of God for his church. With purposeful unity, let's be convinced this morning that God is preparing 
a host of holy ones for service in his kingdom. That's us. God's orienting all of his holy ones in the same direction. And and it turns out that this oriented direction is to Christ. God uses right doctrine, rightly taught, to keep a stable church. And he uses right hearts to effectively build up his church. Like that precious saint that I told you about as we came together Let's be people whose minds are engaged with the living word of God. That's our stability. Let's develop a genuine knowledge of him based on his word. Let's be people at peace because we know him so well and trust him. Let's be stable and not tossed around in turmoil whenever a new crisis is reported on the news or another celebrity Christian abandons the faith. Let's speak the truth of his word to one another here with genuine love. Because God's church matures only in growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your precious revelation of yourself in your word. Thank you that it all points to Christ. He's the sum of all things. Lord, please open our eyes to the connections of Scripture that reveal more and more of Him as we come together as saints of God, even in our personal times in the Word, Lord. I pray that you would grow us up into Him to help us to see Him everywhere. Lord, we thank you so much for the grace you've given us in His great name and His work on the cross. In His name.